Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's football commercial season. Become a USA Today Ad Meter panelist and watch and rate the big game commercials. You'll be entered to win a trip to the big game in 2022 just for registering. Sign up now and see official rules at admeter.usatoday.com. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Counter. I'm Chris Corman, joined by Stephen Ruiz and Charles McDonald. We are some of the NFL team for for the win. And uh, we're here to talk about the championship games, AFC-NFC championship game. Uh, we'll talk about some coach coaching moves. The Eagles have just recently, as we were recording, preparing to record this, made a coaching hire. We'll talk about that, a couple other things going around the league. But first, I want to ask Charles, who was a... Uh, a, a good a good football player here in the Baltimore metropolitan area. I want to ask if if your coach was like, "Hey, we're going to go out there and we're going to eat people's kneecaps." Would that would that do it for you? Would you be fired uh, up for a game? I would not. I would be a little concerned. <laughs> uh, like when I played, like those the super raw raw coach never really got me going because I'm like, "Yo, I, I could see that with your personality, man." Yeah, I'd be like, "Yo, what's what's wrong with you? Like, just relax. We're about to go play this game. We're gonna kick some butt, but you know, you don't have to look like you're just out here sweating during a press conference. <laughs> we can tone down a little bit. Uh, I mean, that that Dan Campbell stuff today was something yeah. else. Uh, like, because I saw people tweeting about it. Uh, you know, like, oh, Dan Campbell, like, I'm fired up. And this is, like, I want to run through a wall. Just watch this press conference. It's like, oh, like, look, I'm, I'm about to go for a walk and work out a little bit. Let me check this out. So I clicked on it, and I was just more creeped out than anything else. Like, it was just. Yeah. Take it down a couple notches. Yeah, people are weird. Like, people, like, football writers in general, like, just are attracted to, like, the weirdest stuff. I don't get, ha- like, everyone's saying, oh, he won the press conference, which. Yeah. Is meaningless anyway. Like who gives who gives the hell? But right. when they're two and eight in November, and he's telling them to bite people's kneecaps or whatever, like they're gonna be like, this guy's a, a moron. It's yeah. For those of you who have who maybe haven't caught up on this news, uh, Dan Campbell, the new coach of the Lions, who is uh, absolutely the poster child for just. Uh, weird hires and the fact that uh, Eric Bieniemy is getting passed over for this guy who was the tight ends coach for the Saints. I mean, I guess he was technically also the assistant head coach, but like that's a meaningless title that's just like uh, Sean Payton being nice to a guy and maybe getting him a couple more hundred thousand dollars or something. Uh, so he ends up getting hired for this job. I don't know if he's gotten any other high, uh, any other interviews this this year. It gets this gig. And, uh, you know, it was it was advertised like the leaks coming out of Detroit were like, well, he's we wanted a, a motivator of men. Uh, we wanted someone who would get a team fired up and was a leader, which you could see after Matt. But like Patricia was 
a weirdo, right? He's like a rocket scientist. He thinks he's smarter than everybody. He was horrible in press conferences. He was, uh, he was an asshole, quite frankly. Like he yeah. had some of the Belichick, uh, like without without actually being as good as Belichick, uh, and it just didn't work. So a lot of times that's what happened, right? There's there's the pendulum of well, we had we tried to hire this super smart coach who was a little quirky and do it his way. So now we're gonna the pendulum's gonna swing and we're gonna like at literally hire a guy out of a bad football movie. <laughs> And like make him our head coach. Uh, and so he's up here and he, it was like an hour press conference. He went with the like, we're going to be, we're going to reflect the city. We're going to be the like blue collar uh, workers of, of Detroit. Like, come on, man. Like it, it's what, what is, first of all, Joe judge, Charles, you pointed this out. Joe judge said the same thing about like New York city slash Northern Jersey last, last year. Like, <laughs> like yeah. what, I mean, these coaches like need to take for like Detroit is in tr- like the, the blue collar workers of Detroit are in trouble. Like the country has left <laughs> them behind. Like we are not like, do not, uh, it's yeah. just so I weird. I can't wait for the next Raiders coach to get hired and to say that they're going to embody the spirit of the city. <laughs> we're just going to gamble on all our own games. That's what we're going to do. Show up, show up to your press conference with the Bud Light. Hey, you know, my great spirit of Las Vegas. What can I say? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, it's like uh, I saw somebody tweet. Uh, I, I can't wait till the coach from Los Angeles says that. Like, ah, I work from 11 to 2 because I don't. I want to miss the traffic. And uh, mm-hmm. even when I'm at work, I don't do much. And then I go to the beach. Like, <laughs> how, much, how much pressure do we think Dan Campbell felt to, like, ham it up a bit? Because, like we said, that's why he was hired to to say I, stuff like that. Maybe he, he he it was a little overboard, obviously. When you're like, yeah. what was funny was like how that little uh, monologue got away from him. Like he just kept going. <laughs> like, you could have just stopped after the first sentence, but then he's like, "Yeah," and then we're gonna get back up and bite their kneecap again. And, and it was just like, was like "Why are you going into such detail?" <laughs> it was amazing too, because then he's like, "And we'll be the last one standing." Like, yeah, no, no shit, you'll be the last one standing. Like you bit their kneecaps off. Like you can't stand if you have no kneecap. Yeah, it, it's so crazy to think about. <laughs> It, all the, these sports writers getting hyped to cannibalism, basically. It's like, <laughs> what we're doing. He's up there like Hannibal Lecter giving football speeches. I'm like, biting them, bite them in the kneecaps. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I'm, I, I don't want to see anyone get bit in the kneecap. And are you going to have to bite through the knee pad to get to the kneecap? Yeah, I was. Like, I, I literally looked at pictures to be like, well, doesn't the pad come down past the kneecap? Like, I don't even know if that's possible. Uh, <laughs> it would have been hilarious if that little like rant ended with him act- them not being the last person standing. Like, they're like, oh yeah, and then we're going to get our asses kicked. It's going to be awful. Oh man, it's just so the uh, the winning the press conference thing is so bizarre too. Like you know, uh, I I covered when Tom Crean got hired at Indiana, and everyone loved it because he was just like, "I'm so happy to be here." It's Indiana, and he was like gushing over the fact that he was in this great basketball state. But then he like went out and wasn't friendly to any of the high school basketball coaches in Indiana, and wasn't able to recruit. It was like. Like, who cares what these people say? Like anyone can get up there and say the right things uh, and give this sort of like performance. But like, I can't believe we're not more sophisticated at this point to look beyond and figure out what the coaches are actually going to do. And like, we still have no idea who Dan Campbell is or what his philosophies are or who he wants to hire. And because ha- 
he's only the only value is if he can get people to buy into systems that work right like if if people just buy into like him being a maniac that's not gonna that's not good enough to make the lions beat uh the packers who have a really smart coach and really smart smart quarterback like there needs to be substance to it and we still know very little about what substance dan campbell's gonna bring yep but uh, i guess that's makes the uh, the mystique of his press conference a little bit better. There Still don't know anything, but I'm fired up to not about not knowing what's going on, you know? <laughs> uh, well, let's uh let's talk about the the games. We got some we got some games coming. And the uh Chiefs Bills it's uh I, I it seems like Patrick Mahomes is gonna play. As far as we can tell uh, from everything that's coming out of Kansas City, he is on pace to be recovered from uh, what was an apparent concussion suffered in the divisional round game. Uh, and so he'll be back. And that's certainly a huge thing. I saw some I saw some video of him like running a little bootleg with you know, he didn't have full pads on or anything. And it also looked like his toe was not bothering him as much anymore which would be another big factor because uh, that really was bothering him before he even went out. Uh, so it looks like he'll be at full strength. And Steven, I know you looked deeper at this game and did it by watching uh, the film from earlier this year. And we've, we published early in the week, we had a story, uh, the five strategic questions that will determine whether the bills can upset the chiefs. And uh, I'm going to let you go through those. Uh, but uh, the the craziest thing was this factoid that came out of your research, uh, and, and that's that the the Bills just did not blitz. Yeah, Patrick they Mahomes. Blitz. They didn't like, blitz one. Literally, right. <laughs> Which, and I asked the next gen stats people, and they only go back to 2016. So, like I wrote in the the post that it was the first time since 2016. That that's not even accurate. That's just where the data goes back to. Could, Right. I can't I can't imagine there's another time that a quarterback hasn't been blitzed. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Like pro football focus had him down for one blitz, but that was actually an RPO where the linebackers were just fitting the run. PFF apparently right. doesn't know what an RPO is. But uh yeah, it's it was a cowardly game plan. And I, I'm not saying that like to insult the Bills. I that's what I would do. I would be a coward too. When I play Madden and I'm going up against the Chiefs <laughs> line, I I play like dime defense and just back everyone off. So I get it. It makes the most sense. It's just that I feel like you have to mix it up a little bit. Like that should be the bulk of your game plan, but you gotta throw some other looks at Mahomes. They were playing it was either that, they're either dropping back and playing quarters. Or they were playing man coverage, and like the fronts were totally different, so you could tell which one was which, and that's just too easy for Mahomes. And like the Chiefs, they didn't score a ton of points, but that's because there weren't a lot of possessions in the game. I think they scored twenty six, which for the Chiefs is just like their bare minimum. But they scored like three point three points per drive, which is would have led the league over the course of the season. So the the Bills have to do something different, and yeah. the big thing was that. The Chiefs could run. They were running all over the the Bills in that game. Clyde Edwards Hilaire had like 160 yards rushing, and it was all against light boxes. So, right. I mean, Chiefs I'm at 245 total. Yeah, uh, it's ridiculous. So I'm I'm assuming that that was by design. Like McDermott was trying to get them to run, but I don't think he was like, 
oh, let them run for 245 yards. <laughs> right. So there's going to be an adjustment there. I mean, you started to see it in the second half. They started rotating the safety down late into the box. When, they, when the Chiefs would go under center, then they would bring that guy down earlier and they would play single high. So I think there will be a chess match in that regard, like how how they rotate their safeties against the Chiefs. Looks. I think that's like the main thing to watch out for when you're watching on Sunday. Uh, Charles, what 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 would you expect to see differently, knowing what Stephen just said? Like, is there a way to find a happy medium of blitzing Mahomes a little bit? Uh, is there something? Should they continue to sort of concede the run because that's the Chiefs' weak, you know, quote unquote weak point? <laughs> Not that this team really has any weakness anywhere. Uh, but what what would you sort of expect as you go into this? Ooh, I mean, uh, I think I, I I think if you're just like trying to figure out how the how to slow this thing down, uh, you know, I I feel pretty confident saying that Mahomes is going to play in the game. So uh, don't even bother thinking about Chad Henney, really. Uh, it, it's just like to do the best you can at, at just letting them get ch- like a small chunks of yards on the ground and and play them a little soft so you can get. Uh, just an extra step in pass coverage because we know that Kansas City, they just have so much speed and, and ways to get their speed in spots where it really hurts you that right. uh, it, it it's just like if you're going to have to lose, it, it, like if Darryl, if Darryl Williams just goes off for like 200 yards and you lose, like, hey, like, what can you say? But it, I think it's better to just – if, if you're going to have to pick one spot to be weak, just let Darrell Williams run and, and watch version of Le'Veon Bell run and uh, do your best to stop the pass because that's by far the most important thing when it comes to Kansas City, just trying to get off the field and high leverage passing downs, which were, I mean, they just absolutely shred people for going on like three seasons now. Yeah, right. and I, I would say like overall the strategy worked because the Bills had a chance. And Josh Allen was not good in this game. If Josh Allen plays like he has the rest of the season, they it at least goes to overtime probably, or maybe the Bills even win it. So I can't say that the Bills didn't do a good job defensively or it wasn't a smart plan. Like sometimes when you're going against the Chiefs, sometimes you just got to accept the fact that you're giving up 20-plus, and that's your bar for whether you play a good game or not. Right. Uh, I saw a quote from – Bill's defense coordinator, Leslie Frazier, basically saying that the key with Mahomes was making him work the quick game. Like basically, like if you you're better off if you keep Mahomes on script almost because when he's really most dangerous is when things break down a little bit and he moves around and and creates big plays. Uh, is, that, is that sort of the formula they used in this game? I mean, they, they obviously like I, I think you have a, a line in your story that his Mahomes' passing chart looks like an homage to his predecessor, uh, Alex Smith. Uh, so he's really like just sort of taking throws uh, like most of them, I think, were less than 10 yards. Is, is that sort of the key to, to let Mahomes run that part, that little bit of the offense and and not give him the big shots? Is that I mean, yeah, I, think, I, I definitely think it is. It's the only option because they're so good at those deeper shots. Like for other teams, throwing it deep is a risky proposition. For the Chiefs, that's just like that's like a layup for them. So I think it's kind of just how you have to do it. You have to give up something. And if you're going to give up something, it might as well be a, a quick pass to Travis Kelsey for five or eight yards. 
And yeah. I also saw a quote where he was talking about keeping him in the pocket, but that was something that the Bills did not do. And I think one of the better ways to do that is actually to blitz a little bit and to, and to be able to close him in so he doesn't have a, an avenue to exit. I don't know how they're going to do that this game because we have seen the stats of, again, uh, with Mahomes against the Blitz and they're ridiculous. So right. it's kind of finding that middle ground. And it's also finding the middle ground where you could back up and, and take away those deep shots while also defending the run, which the Bills didn't do that second part. And it's kind of like a theme throughout the season. Like we saw Brandon Staley get so much credit for from still being able to defend the run while allocating numbers to the passing game. And I'm guessing that that's something the Bills have to, you know, pursue this week is figure out a way. Aaron Donald. Yeah. That's (laughs) another thing. If they can get Aaron Donald. Healthy healthy Aaron Donald. Healthy. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. The flip side of that is that the, the, as you mentioned, Josh Allen was not good. He had one of his uh, worst games of the season and, the Chiefs accomplished that by blitzing him a ton. 15 of his 31 dropbacks uh, w- included blitzes, and he was pressured on 54.8% uh, and averaged 3.4 yards per attempt against the blitz. Just awful numbers. And those blitzes did keep him in the pocket, which, again, he's another player that in a lot of ways he's more dangerous once the structure breaks down. Uh, so they they were able to, to make that happen. Uh, has... Buffalo's offense evolved or are we seeing things from Allen that, that make us think that is not going to be a possibility this week? I mean, I know that the, the chiefs line is just not, it's, it's, it's not able to create pressure on its own. So if yeah. they want to pressure him, they're going to need to do something, but he also, it, it seems that he's gotten better. So I'm wondering where the chiefs are going to be when they, try to game plan here uh, what level of pressure they'll bring this time i don't know if he's better i think the offensive line has been better yeah well we're we're talking about the chiefs defensive line now right yeah Yeah. i i was you know i i think you might just have to pressure because they're bad they're bad right like they don't have anyone really outside chris jones it scares you that frank clark has done absolutely nothing uh his second year with the Chiefs, I mean that that's been kind of a bust of a signing since the Super Bowl, and yeah, he was they, bad last year too, right? Like yeah, during the regular, yeah, but he wasn't he wasn't great last year either. Uh, but they they don't have anyone who's getting pressure, and if you just let Josh Allen, who's already like gonna try to extend plays regardless, like if you just let him sit back there, uh, and Buffalo Buffalo's offensive line has been playing pretty well. Uh, if you just let him sit back there and let Diggs find spots in the zone, or just straight up beat someone, or he'll find. Uh, Cole Beasley, like that, that's that could be a, a spot for concern for the Chiefs, like the overall getting pressure on on Josh Allen and, and not taking too many guys out of coverage to do it because their their front four is not really shown that they're capable of being a great pass rushing team this year. Yeah, and I, I think it's like people have haven't realized how good this Bills offensive line has been. Like Josh Allen is just sitting back there, standing. He has all the time in the world. And if you're looking for an area for him to regress next year, I think that's it. If the offensive line isn't as good and he doesn't have that extra second to process things, which I think he needs still, then I don't think he's going to be nearly as effective. And the Chiefs need to, you know, kind of force that regression this weekend. and They need to put pressure on him. And I don't know if it's going to be possible with just blitzing because the Bills do have John Feliciano back. He's a guard, but and guards aren't usually in on the protection calls. But yeah, our buddy's going to ask, how, how did you know that? And, and how, how, how 
often do teams do that? I got I I got that from Nate Tice. Nate Tice, okay. Apparently, I think he knows someone in the on the Bills staff, and apparently Feliciano is really good at that stuff. I think he did play center in a pinch last year, and okay. I linked to the story on Bills dot com about him like being really involved in the protection calls. He wasn't there in that Week Six game, and that might have been the reason why those blitzes were so effective. I don't know how much that's going to change, but if it does change, then the Chiefs are probably going to need a new approach on defense. Uh, what did you see in the secondary? And I know you've written a lot about what Steve Spagnola has done back there and uh, how he's mixed things up. And it sounded like he had to do that in this game as well. So uh, can you take us through what you noticed on film and how he went about stopping one of the, the better wide receiver groups in the league? Yeah, like in the first half, it was a lot more interesting. Like he was throwing these like match coverages with like weird code names that you'll hear like the saving guy, high school coach guys on Twitter throw around. Like <laughs> and I don't even know how to diagnose them, but like you could see safeties and cornerbacks switching responsibilities and then bracketing certain guys in the slot and and then but like the Bills were still getting open because you could do all that stuff. It looks great on a whiteboard or whatever, or when you're talking in a press conference, but. When it's Stefan Diggs running that crossing route, it, like, it doesn't matter how much help you have. He's going to get open. Right. And like I said, the difference was Josh Allen was missing the throws in the first half. But I give credit to Spagnola because he, he recognized that. I, I mean, I think a lot of coaches would have saw the results and been like, oh, let's just keep doing what we're doing. But in the mm-hmm. second half, they started you know backing off and playing more cover two zones. They really like adopted what the Bills were doing on the other side. And – there were like some subtle changes. Like sometimes it'd be Tampa two where the middle linebackers dropping back deep. Sometimes it would just be regular cover two. other times it'd be two man. And I think those, those little switches like kept Josh Allen from, you know, catching on and getting comfortable. And he throws a pick against cover two on the, on the last drive. So I think it worked. So I'm expecting to see a little bit of both of those game plans, a little bit of the first half thing and then a little bit of the second half thing. And I think that would be the perfect middle ground. But still, it comes down to pressure. If you can't get pressure on them, I don't think it matters. Hmm. Will the Bills try to run the ball? You you noted after the divisional game that they just gave up on the run. They didn't didn't even really try to establish it. Uh, we know that the Chiefs are really weak there. Uh, is that a wrinkle that you expect to see this week where they'll, they'll go back to the, the run game? I don't know. I like Dayball stole a page from Chuck's book. When me and Chuck played on Madden the last year, I don't think he called one run play. I was laughing about that, man, uh, during the game, because I, I think at one point, I, I don't think I called a run play until the f- like three minutes left in the fourth quarter. And they, at one point, I think the Bills had called like 20, like, like almost 25 straight passing plays. Like their only run was a scramble by Josh Town. Like it was it, 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 like all the nerds were like, oh, this is like, or not all the nerds, but like a couple of nerds on Twitter were just like, oh, like this is great. And then I remember someone was like, they have three points. That was the, that was the best part about that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yes. Give them the Super Bowl right now. And it's like, they had three points. Three like, points. Calm the hell down. <laughs> but yeah, I have no idea. I, I, I would imagine that like they're probably going to run it more just because of how it played out uh, last week. And the Ravens' run defense is actually good. Right, the Chiefs isn't, so it's more exploitable. All right, what what are your picks? What's the uh, I'm gonna let what you actually think happens here. What's the spread on this game again? It's three. Kansas City's favored by three. Yeah, I'm gonna take Kansas City. Uh, I just. I, I I don't know. I just trust them more than the Bills. And 
I, I do think like there's definitely an avenue for the Bills to win this game, like because the the one thing that they can do that the Browns kind of struggle to do is uh, I think that the Bills are much better suited to create explosive plays in the passing game, uh, and they'll be able to run too. So like they, I think there is an avenue if the Bills win. I don't think anyone should be surprised if they manage to pull that off. But you know, Mahomes. I'm, I'm assuming he's going to play on Sunday. Uh, he's he's practiced, and I just can't see a scenario where he sits this out. Uh, and they, you know, it's just the Chiefs are are really good. And honestly, I don't really have much more depth, like in depth thoughts than that. It's just the Chiefs are really good. They're at home, and they have they this group together already has a lot of playoff experience, and it just seems like. They're destined to get it done and get back to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Steven, additional thoughts? Yeah, I'm going to pick the Chiefs. Like anything you could say that's good about the Bills, and there's a lot of things, I feel like you could say the same about the Chiefs, only they're better at it. Like right. mm-hmm. anything you could say about Josh Allen, you could say about Patrick Mahomes, but Josh Mahomes better. Anything you could say about the receiving core, I don't know if the Chiefs are better, but I think it's deeper and more explosive. So, yeah, I'm going with Kansas City. Like I, like Chuck said, I wouldn't be surprised if Buffalo wins, but I think the smart bet is Kansas City here. All right. Over in the NFC, it's the Bucks traveling up to uh, frozen Lambeau Field uh, to play the Packers. Uh, I, yeah, it's another three-point uh, spread here with the Packers favored, and it feels – you know, we discussed last week that the the Bucks we didn't really learn much playing against a a very diminished Drew Brees. The defense looked better, but it's hard to separate that from from how bad Brees was. Uh, so it's I, I'm not really sure what to take. Again, you looked at the 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 tape from earlier this year, Stephen. Was this also were both these games week six? Did these two teams play in week six? Yeah, yeah, that's so, and that's also when the Bills and Chiefs play. That's amazing. Um, so, what did you take from that game? What did you notice uh, that that you think will sort of carry forward here and give us some inkling of what to expect? Yeah, the thing that stood out was the linebackers from the Bucks. They were just running all over the field, like really sideline to sideline, and it was against that outside zone running play that all of these Shanahan McVay guys build their offense around and right. it, like if you can't run that play I, I feel like you're dead in the water as an offense and that was the case with the Packers and for me it wasn't really just that the Packers weren't as good on the offensive line I think it was like structural like just the play calls and what they were asking of their linemen was just impossible to do I have a clip in the article I wrote that there's this guard I'm, I'm forgetting his name he went to Kentucky he ran like a 5-3 he wasn't athletic and they're asking him to chase down Devin White, who ran like a four-four, right, in space and block him like from the backside. And it's just like that's never going to happen. And it, it just happened repeatedly with him and Levante David. And it like Matt Lafleur needs to change or needs to change yeah. something, or this isn't going to work. And that's right. really the big question with him. Like we know he's he's a good offensive coach. The question is, is he going to be able to adapt as defenses adapt? Because that's going to happen as more of these McVay, Shanahan guys get hired mm. around the league. Like, defenses are going to adjust. Right. 
So this that game, that's the one that Tampa Bay won 38 to 10. Uh, Rodgers was terrible. He was 16 for 35, 160 yards, two interceptions. Brady wasn't much better. He was 17 for 27, but he threw two, D, two TDs instead of interceptions. That was basically the difference. Uh, have you seen, because it didn't, I mean, it's not like that happened to the Packers again. It was like that. That loss, and then they they had a bad loss to the Vikings, and they lost to the Colts. But those games were close. Uh, As you watch through the season, did they continue to have those problems, or have they already started solving some of those issues? Uh, I I don't think they've solved those issues because I think the Bucks problem is a unique problem. I went back and I mentioned this in the article. You look at this Bucks defense under Todd Bowles against Shanahan and against McVay, and they couldn't run the ball against them either. They it was like hmm. the same type of numbers. Like McVay has had two shots at Todd Bowles' defense. They played last year and they played this year. Last year or this year, I think they averaged minus point four EPA per run. The year before that it was like minus point two six. So he actually got worse with his second crack. And Shanahan, <laughs> that was with the Super Bowl team. It wasn't like it was with Nick Mullins 49ers. This was Jimmy Garoppolo 49ers. And they couldn't run either. And they won that game. <laughs> that, that's good point. <laughs> but uh yeah like none of these shanahan guys can run against them so i like i don't know if there's an obvious answer like when i was watching it like you draw it up on a whiteboard you're like hey maybe run a counter play like shanahan has gone to more counter plays as teams have adjusted to his outside zone but i looked it up on on sports info solutions and i asked the pff guy and they ran one counter play all season long so I don't even know if that's an option. For me, it's just about they're going to have to figure out a way to distract those linebackers. And I think it's going to be just running a, a ton of play action. They didn't. They barely ran any play action in this week 16. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hmm. Uh, Chuck, what do you think about this game? When you you look at it uh, and these two teams... I feel like there's a, a pretty steady narrative that there's no way for the Bucks to go up to Green Bay and and win this game. But I don't like it feel, that feels weird to me. This whole like, oh, it's cold and they're not going to figure out how to play. Like, yeah, that's that. No. Uh, <laughs> right. I, I just think that I, I I I like the Packers in this game just because I I feel like their offense is just. Like, like I, I know that that first game against Tampa Bay was bad, and and Stephen made great points about what went wrong in uh in that game where the floor needs to change. But I just feel like like you almost hit a point where like you like things are just clicking for you, and and it it's like narrative like anecdotal analysis, but like they just seem to have a better grasp of what they want to be as an offense now than maybe they mm-hmm. did. Uh, Earlier. I think it's hundred percent fair. By the way, uh, I agree. and and like I, I just don't think that this Bucks defense right now is a unit that they should really be afraid of. Uh, and, you know, and, and like the, the the stuff that happened on Sunday with the Saints game was 
mostly just Drew Brees just, you know, like just being in the end of his career and not playing well and not figuring, not being able to figure out how to get the ball down the field. And, and you know, he, he just kind of shelved himself. But Rodgers is uh, about to win the MVP. Uh, he's still playing really good football. He's got great command of this offense. Like that that Rams game, I know we've talked about it already once this week, but like that Rams game on Sunday where you just see like, especially on the first drive where they're controlling the pace and the tempo uh, with snap count, how fast they get to the line. Sometimes they get to the line and they're waiting. Sometimes they get to the line, they snap it immediately. Like they're really just in command and control and they, as a unit on offense, I think that that's kind of going to carry over for them uh, this week again. And I just, I just like them to put up a lot of points on, on Tampa Bay's defense this time around. It just, it just feels like they're a more cohesive unit this time. Uh, is this the most comfortable we've seen Aaron Rodgers in a long time with, within an offense? Uh, I mean, it, it was completely obvious, especially in the later Mike McCarthy years, that this was it was just a head coach and a QB on on totally different pages, and that Rodgers was sort of doing his own thing more often than not. And then even last year. Well, that was a big narrative. Like we were wondering going in, is Rogers going to acclimate to LaFleur or is LaFleur going to acclimate to him a little bit? And it took time. Uh, but it feels like maybe in the latter part of this season that Rogers is finally there where he's uh, buying in and mostly doing what his coach is asking of him. Uh, and that his coach has also come back to him and said, we'll do a little bit more of what you want. Uh, do you think that's sort of what we're seeing with Rogers and why he's, playing as well as he has yeah I, I think he's just adapted or i don't know if like I, I don't know how much has changed like in their offense but it just seems like he's bought in more than he did last year because i remember like last year uh you know the people who who watch uh a lot of packers film and and, and break that down when you get an offense that's introducing like all these rpos that he hadn't really run before he wasn't really comfortable like he was just straight up quitting on some of these plays like he he would see you know mm-hmm. he doesn't like the read immediately and he just turfed the ball into the ground and like not even giving plays uh, a chance to develop and it just seems like he's bought in a lot more this year uh, w- with what Lafleur is trying to do on offense and maybe uh, Lafleur has made some concessions to him about what's going to be in the offense but clearly this is something that he's bought into a lot more than last year because you know it, it just seemed like. In the 2019 Packers offense, he was just uncomfortable and not even really trying to figure it out. And now he's just, you know, this is this is his offense. He got full command of it. And I mean, the dude threw 48 touchdowns at age 37. Like that's just, <laughs> it's crazy. It was like his best year since maybe 2011. And and you know, I, I just think that that alone with how well he's playing this year, it's it, I think they're going to get back to the Super Bowl. Steven, what's your guess on on how this game unfolds? Are you going with Green Bay as well? Yeah, I'm picking Green Bay. Like I meant I didn't mention the, the passing game and that was on purpose. I Rodgers had a bad game, but I thought it was like a fluke. Like mm. his interceptions, I've seen people say that the Bucks fooled him or whatever, but I did not see that on film. The two interceptions were just bad throws, like inaccurate throws, not necessarily bad decisions. So I think Rodgers will be a lot better this time around. I'm guessing that LaFleur will have like some counters. They did start to find some answers at the end of the game. So I think he'll carry those over. And I I don't really have a lot of faith in Tom Brady. I know he was playing well for that stretch, but it was against teams like the Lions and stuff, like in right. the Panthers. I'm not 
I wasn't too, I wasn't impressed by him last week. He was the, maybe the worst player right. on the field for the Bucks. Yeah, he, right. he wasn't great in that game versus New Orleans. Just that Drew Brees was just a complete lemon on was the field. Worse, right? And the yeah, Bucks that, that, were more opportunistic. Like the Bucks had, or the Saints had chances to intercept him like four times and just didn't catch the ball. Right. That brings uh, up my my question: is is uh, could this be the last game that we see Tom Brady play? He's signed for another year. He's he's long said that he wants to play till he's forty five, right? And that would that's actually. He turns 45 the year after next year. Uh, so he is it, what we know publicly is that he does not plan to retire. But I, I just wonder, you know, we saw Philip Rivers make the decision. We're still waiting to hear from Drew Brees. Uh, what do you guys think? Is there any any inkling that this could be it? Hell no. He's coming back. He saw he just <laughs> touchdowns and he has like oh, yeah. the best job in the world right now in the NFL behind that offensive line and with those receivers. No way. I think I think it's going to be a Peyton Manning situation where we need to see a big decline before Brady retires. Yeah, he's, he's, he's definitely going to come back and kick it next year. I mean, like Steven made a great point. They they drafted Tristan Wirfs, and he's like the best right tackle in the NFL. Yeah. Uh, this guy, this guy's the, he's the, he's the luckiest player ever. <laughs> like, he's the luckiest player ever. I mean, it, it's so frustrating because I got to get, I guess, to Tampa Bay, and then, oh, wow, you get like, Crazy good performance from your rookie right tackle where he looks like a Hall of Fame player right out the gate. And then you get to the playoffs and you got Taylor Heineke and then you play against whatever Drew Brees is right now. Oh, and look, you're you're one game away from the Super Bowl. I mean, this dude just gets all the breaks and so annoying. He's never going to leave. Well, that's uh, that's the perfect transition for our next topic, which is uh, Philip Rivers, the un- unluckiest quarterback, <laughs> quarterback. Of, of his generation. Uh, yeah, Rivers announced his retirement this week. You know, he had signed with the Colts for one year and wasn't sure if he was going to come back and, and decided uh, to hang it up. He's got like 83 children, so he's probably got a bunch of stuff he needs to do. Um and Steven made a really convincing case. Uh, it's, it's crazy. I, I Googled, uh, you know, Philip Rivers Hall of Fame and the story had already been written. I mean, people have been writing about this since like 2015 of whether or not Philip Rivers deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. And it's been approached from every single angle. Uh, and Steven wrote about it on our site and uh, I'm biased, obviously, but I kind of feel like it was the best uh, piece on it, which is that. I, I there's just there there is no argument here like the argument is oh his numbers are insane and he's one by numbers wise statistically he's one of the five six seven best quarterbacks ever to play the game but uh, he didn't win so we don't know like I, I don't know how you watch football on, with any regularity and and fail to separate the fact that like you to be good at football, you need to have a lot of things go right. And Tom Brady had everything go right uh, so many different times. And like we uh, I don't we're not I, I don't ding Brady that much for the fact that he had all that a little bit. I mean, I think you, you have to sort of look at him in full context that he had. He, he played with the greatest coach ever. And, and like we just said, he's now went to a situation that was strong and broke right for him. But Rivers just like if you're going to hold rivers out of the hall of fame, cause he played for the chargers. Like that's, that's a weird standard. Man. And, and let me say this, like if I had my, my own way and my own standards for the hall of fame, I don't think rivers would be in it, but this is the hall of fame. That's going to 
vote in Jason Witten probably first ballot. If Jason Willett, uh, Witten is a Hall of Famer, Philip Rivers is a Hall of Famer. If Frank Gore is a Hall of Famer, then Philip Rivers is. I get the argument that he was never considered the best quarterback in the league or even in the top three. I don't think he was even really ever considered elite, but he was always on the periphery of that argu- of, of that discussion in the same way that Jason Witten was never considered like a dangerous tight end. No one was like, oh, God, we got a game plan for Jason Witten. How else are we going to stop these five-yard catches? <laughs> our, our Frank Gore, who like one of Frank Gore's best attributes is his pass protection. It's not even like him as a runner. I mean, he's a great runner in his, in his prime, but he like was never five. <laughs> yeah, for like three years behind the best offensive line in the league. So, like, if that's my argument, that if those guys are getting in your Hall of Fame, then Phillip Rivers is a Hall of Famer. I don't really feel strongly either way about Rivers. Uh, my only take is that if Philip Rivers gets in, then Matt Ryan should get in, too. Matt Ryan's going to be good I mean, I agree. I think Matt Ryan should get in. He's been a very good quarterback for a long time, which is very hard to but do. I'm also okay with neither of them getting in. Right. and it, But if that's the case, then don't let Jason Witt in. That's yeah, my I guess I'm, real. I'm here for that take. I guess, I guess that's my question. And now, Stephen, you said if if you had – if you could – set the standards for the hall of fame, he wouldn't make it. So this is something you've actually thought about, I guess. Like what would, how would you run the Stephen hall of fame? There would be like 20 guys in there. Nobody from before <laughs> 1996. You know that you're not going to get people to visit Canton, Ohio, unless their favorite player is in the hall, right? Like this is all just commerce. <laughs> hey, that's, not, that's not mine. I'm about the spirit of the game. I'm about to love the game. Like, I mean, <laughs> The only player that I'm putting in before 96 or that was like great in the 80s is probably Jerry Rice. Wow. Like Joe Montana might get in. Uh, Lawrence Taylor would get in. But after that, I'm I'm having a hard time. (laughs) Like put Aaron Donald in in 1980s NFL and Dan Marino's getting in my Hall of Fame. Oh, yeah. Dan Marino. That's a good point. But you put Aaron Donald in 1980s NFL. Like I don't think some the Rams are ever giving up a point. <laughs> I don't. Is that standard fair though? Like if you're like me, me and Joe Green back. was like two hundred seventy pounds, man. <laughs> I feel like I could block me and Joe Green. Okay. I, I feel like you could not. I was, <laughs> but like I feel like Johnny Hecker might have a chance of blocking. <laughs> Oh man, I'm gonna. I, I now I now I know what we're doing in the off season. You're definitely gonna write Stevens Hall of Fame post where you explain who gets in and who doesn't. I want to do the bet thing, like you know how bets has the Zach Taylor, Zach Thomas yeah. thing. I want to do that for like legends in like the '80s, just like making fun of like who's like the Steelers linebacker, the the white guy. I mean that. Yeah, I think all of them were. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? Jack Lambert, yeah, Jack whatever. Jack, oh, Jack Ham. He probably they probably ran like five two forties, <laughs> without a doubt. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna see if I can find that. <laughs> There's no way you're finding his, his forty time. They didn't even have like the means to to measure forties. <laughs> <laughs> like when I picture not the 1970s, I'm picturing like colonial times. <laughs> I don't know. There's a lot of pictures. Ham played at Penn State, and, and all the pictures of uh, Paterno, he's holding a stopwatch. So I, I don't know. No. Man. So they, they had invented the stopwatch. Right? Yes. Apologies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm going to find that. Uh, all right. So we've we've had our Rivers debate. Um, the 
let's let's get to this latest coaching news. And I I, I don't even know this guy's name that the Eagles hired. I have to Google it. Uh, what is it? Nick Sirianni. Uh, it sounds like a sounds like a Philly guy. Sounds like a guy down in South Philly selling cheesesteaks uh, is now <laughs> going to be the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. He was the offense coordinator for the Colts. Uh, Seems pretty clear that the Eagles wanted to bring Frank Reich back and couldn't do that. So they went and got whoever Nick Sirianni is. Uh, what what are our uh, reactions to this? I don't have one, really. It's like, <laughs> the only thing that I think we can discern from this is that Wentz is going to be there and they're, they're going to try to fix Wentz. Because if you can't get the guy who is now being credited with Wentz being good at one point, then... I guess the closest thing you can get is the guy who stood next to him while he called plays last year. Uh, I don't know. I don't. Maybe it'll be great. Maybe maybe it won't be great. But we don't really know one like what Nick Sirianni did with in terms of uh, helping the the Colts uh, game plan for the games, and we know that Frank Reich was the play caller. So I don't know. Right? Yeah. Right. Who knows? Like, I mean, that's that's the main takeaway here, right? Is like this is once again a strike against this idea that Eric Bieniemy might not be a viable head coach because he doesn't call plays. Like now we have some guy who has one tenth the resume that Bieniemy has getting a, a head coaching job without calling plays. Like <laughs> the funny, the thing I find funny about it is like the Eagles just fired Doug Peterson and just bought, brought in a guy basically from his coaching tree. I know he never coached under Peterson, right. but like. It's the same offense, kind of. Like, it's going to look right. the same. I don't think there's going to be a lot of difference. Like, I, someone tweeted out, some Eagles writer tweeted out a video of, from Colts.com of Sirianni breaking down kind of the Colts offense. And they were using clips from the Eagles Super Bowl. That's like, this is like, you're just bringing in the same guy, but he's younger and probably less likely to talk back to Harry Roseman. I mean, that's what this is about, right? Just Harry Roseman right. giving a, a yes man again. I, I mean, I, I feel like it is uh, like we I, I, Joe Brady has a better resume than this guy. Right. Like Brady would have been a better, a more interesting hire with like more clear upside. Like we saw what he did with LSU's offense when he's a passing game coordinator. Then he took over the Panthers and actually made that offense better without having Christian McCaffrey for a lot of it. And with a limited quarterback, like it, I don't think you put these guys next to each other and, and come away with Nick Sirianni unless you were saying he doesn't have as much leverage as Brady. Like Brady is such an up and comer that he's going to get whatever job he wants at some point. Whereas Sirianni is you're you're taking a leap of faith and and that means you have some leverage over him. And you, you get to say like you have to listen to Howie Roseman. <laughs> uh, I, I think that's the big takeaway here. It's, just, I don't know. I I would take the head coaching job if they offered it to me. If they said you have to listen to Harry Roseman, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's it's tough. Uh, now, like, granted, with all of this, uh, as we say every time we talk about coaching, like, it's really hard to figure this stuff out. And we didn't think Doug Peterson would work with the Eagles either, and he won a Super Bowl, so. Uh, I'm pretty confident saying that's not going to happen this time around. Certainly not as quickly as it did with Peterson, but uh, maybe the mix is right. You know, maybe, maybe it fits, but this is, is this weirder than the Dan Campbell hire or on the same plateau? Like where are, where does this one rank? Weirder? No, I think it's funnier. (laughs) 
Um, it's it's just so it just feels so lazy. Like I don't know. Like it, it just just uninspired. Um, right. He you like you you clearly just want to try to take things back to 2017. So you're going with the person who was closest to the person who like helped you with your success and three years ago or four years ago at this point, it's just, I don't know. Like it just feels very uninspired. Like, I don't know if, if Nick Sirianni will be good or not, but it just feels like they're just kind of grabbing back to the past when maybe they need to just try something completely different, but Hey, like the, the Colts offense has always been well-structured. So I guess that's a plus. I mean, we just need to figure out how much of a role he had in that. Yeah. I think that's, that's the upside if you're an Eagles fan. Like that's what you have to cling to. I I feel like this is just a move to appease Carson Wentz. Like they can go, hey, this guy worked with Nick, uh, Frank Reich, and you liked Frank Reich, so maybe you'll be happy with us again after Doug Peterson wronged you. I don't know how much that's going to work out. That's not like the Texans trying to do everything to appease Deshaun Watson because Carson Wentz. I don't feel like he's a quarterback that you should make coaching hires for. Yeah, no, I mean, obviously at this point, uh, but that's clearly what has happened. Um, other quarterback news. Dwayne Haskins has signed with the Steelers. Uh, we, we've gone over the fact that the Steelers definitely need to make a QB change away from Ben Roethlisberger. Another one that we're waiting to hear what he wants his future to be. Um, Haskins obviously flailed out with the, the Washington football team. Some of it was on the field stuff. I mean, he was never great on the field. Also, didn't seem to be in good positions with with what the football team was wanting from him, and and sort of pairing him last year with a coach that didn't want him, and then this year it seemed to to replay itself where he really wasn't the guy that uh, Ron Rivera wanted in that position. Do we see? I mean, is this a good landing spot for him to to try to turn this around? Uh, sure. I like, I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to say with Haskins because like, it seems like his, most of his issues seem to be behind the scenes and his commitment. But like you said, it might've just been the fit in Washington. It seemed like they never really wanted him. Even Jake Rudin never wanted him. Ron Rivera never seemed too sold on him. Like I would imagine as a 21, 22 year old being in that work environment, I don't think I'd try either. So Maybe the change of scenery will pay off for him. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it'll, it'll pay off for him. I mean, he did have like that two-game stretch to close out his rookie season where he looked pretty nice. Uh, maybe they can tap into that, and I, I think a, a change of scenery is definitely going to be uh, good for him. Uh, right. I mean, Washington they they did pull the plug on this thing pretty pretty fast. Uh, yeah. So I don't I don't think that they were ever too invested, too interested in keeping Haskins around. So maybe you know a place that actually wants him for a year will be good for him. Yeah, I mean it's a pretty low risk signing by the Steelers, right. uh, with, with potentially high reward. So uh, and Antonio Brown eventually, you know, worked his way out of Pittsburgh, but was really productive for a long time. You know, a player who had some some struggles within the within the organization yeah uh so i don't know i'm worried about the ben roethlisberger mentorship program (laughs) (laughs) 
I think that's a valid concern too. Just Mason Rudolph never developed. I'll say that. He did develop in some ways that uh, I feel like would take after Ben, but oh, got a helmet uh, because of it, maybe. Man. Uh. As I was looking for uh, Dwayne Haskins tweeted about the Steelers and I was looking for his tweet. I just Twitter just showed me this tweet. I don't know how I missed it yesterday, but Will Compton tweets. Philip Rivers is finally pulling out. Congrats to a legend. Jesus. <laughs> wow. Will you know, I'm, I am just fascinated. Like, who is going to be the poor sucker guy that gets stuck with this Texas job? Like, oh, yeah, it, it, it seems like. I, I I don't know. Like Dabble already said, he's just going to chill in Buffalo. It seems like the enemy probably about to do the same thing. Like who is going to take that job? Uh, Nick Sirianni. <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah. I mean, who the, the equivalent, right? They're going to go. It's going to be someone who's going to listen to Casarios, right? I, mean, I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if the enemy ends up taking it. I'm still man, I, holding I out. That. If I was him. I just, I would not do that. Yeah, like you just have to weigh, like, can I outlast Easterby? Because Deshaun Watson is, like, if it was any other quarterback, I would be like, hell no, I'm staying away from that. But it is Deshaun Watson. You got to pray that you can you can fix that relationship somehow if you take that job. Like, you got to you got to be a therapist as long as well as a, a head coach when you take that spot. Cause I feel like the enemy is the only guy saving it, right? If Deshaun... Because if Deshaun leaves, like you're going to get the picks back, but like you had Deshaun Watson right there, like you had the quarterback figured out for ten years, and you lost him. Like that's, I can't, that, <laughs> I can't wait for Deshaun to get traded and AJ McCarron to be the starter in Week One, and like the Texans' social media team will have to come up with tweets like hyping up AJ McCarron, like the Bills did with Peterman that one year. Oh my gosh! I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, I, I, that's just. I, uh, by the way, would we? Would you ever ding if if Watson sticks with the Texans? You know, if he's stuck with the Texans and he plays out his career at the level he's played, and the Texans never win anything, like would you hold him out of the Hall of Fame at the end? Like, of, of course not. That's like, uh, but that's sort of where we are with Rivers. Uh, like he, he he he's trying to control the situation as best he can, but a, a quarterback only can do so much. Uh, yeah, I feel bad for him, but yeah, uh, yeah. It, what, it did you guys see those? The the athletic had a bunch of trade offers. I mean, do we think that the sort of conventional wisdom about what uh, Watson would get in a trade sticks? I mean, because it feels like the the leverage is. Uh, for an, like the Dolphins can call and say to the Texans, like, hey, we'll give you two uh, and a couple first round picks, but we're not going to go to that next level because it's pretty clear that Watson wants out so badly that he's willing to take extreme steps. Uh, you know, it feels like we're getting to a point where it's going to be a smaller return. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think. And the thing with like that, I think what makes the Dolphins and the Jets like the most likely spots is just that they have two first round picks. But uh, I think if there's a way that you can figure out how to get Watson and just give up the picks this year, that would be just an incredible mm-hmm. situation for you because, because then you, you get the quarterback, still get your pick for next year. Like you, you like burning two first round picks on someone of Deshaun Watson's value is 
you know, we're that, we're that trade Fine. off every time. So, right. um, I don't know. Uh, like that that point about Watson, like if he's really mad enough, he can make a mess and just truly get out of there. And it, I don't think that it's a guarantee that the Texans will be smart enough to take a great offer because they did. The Cal McNair did just sign off on DeAndre Hopkins going away for a two and uh, David, like David, freaking David Johnson, like what? <laughs> uh, so. I wouldn't be surprised if they end up getting absolutely embarrassed in a trade for Watson at the end of the day. Yeah, I would imagine that teams are going to at least wait till the draft. Like the Jets, for instance. If I was the Jets, I would at least go through the motions with the quarterbacks and maybe you fall in love with one. But if you don't, then like I'd be willing to trade everything for Deshaun Watson. That's that's a guy that's going to keep your franchise afloat or at least competitive. Like the Texans were bad this year and only won like what, four games, three games, but they were in every game because of Deshaun yeah. Watson. So even if everything else around you is awful, which it was in Houston, like that defense was atrocious and the running game was non-existent. Then, I mean, I'm willing to give up anything for him. And I mean, anything like the only yeah. person I wouldn't trade for him is Patrick Mahomes. Everything else on the tape. Wow. Yeah, like dude, if I, if I'm Cleveland, I'm I'm trying to figure out how to get Deshaun Watson on my team. Like if if I'm if I'm the Rams, I'm trying to figure out how to get Deshaun Watson on my team. Like it, it it's just every team should be trying to trade for him, just trying to figure out some package that they can throw at the Texans. Like if they're actually going to go through with this and be just complete buffoons about this, you you got it. You have to. I think literally every team in the NFL besides like the 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 Packers, the Chiefs, and maybe the Bills should be trying to get their hands on Deshaun Watson. I think even the Packers might be might yeah, even, even the Packers too. Yeah. Like, yeah. If absolutely. But the Browns I think is an interesting team that I don't really see other people bringing up. Like the Browns and I think they might really have a great offer because the Texans would be Easily tricked into thinking that Baker Mayfield, yeah, Baker come in and productive quarterback for them, and he's not signed to a big deal, so they'll be able to have some, you know, flexibility there. I really think that's a trade the Browns uh, want to pursue, and they have like a a forward thinking front office. They're kind of not traditional, yeah. so maybe they will think about that. I don't know if that's going to be the case, but that's the team that I think has should really be thinking about this interesting all right which one of you guys is going to win madden today oh me again for sure uh wow. I mean, i'm playing as the packers and steven is playing as the buccaneers we're going to do the nfc championship game and uh i'm going to show him exactly why the packers should not be afraid of the buccaneers <laughs> i've been thinking this whole time that i was going to be the packers and i forgot that it was the other way around now oh, nah. the excuses are coming already. What? No, it's not an excuse. What? I just wanted Aaron Rodgers. I didn't want to play with Tom Brady. Yeah, <laughs> already. Don't blame me. Jameis. Do it. Do it. Uh, I'm working on a story about the secondary market for uh, Super Bowl tickets, which obviously is the craziest in history because there's only like maybe 20% of the stadium is going to be open. Uh, but there guys, there is a luxury box, lower level. Uh, it's got 20 people, got 20 seats. Uh, it's only 374, hundred thousand, six hundred thousand dollars, 
635 is the price right now. Uh, it's it's going, it's dropping as I'm watching it. So we might be able, maybe we should wait, but I don't know if you guys wanted to get this. Do you <laughs> want to go in on it? I chipped my PS5 in to get, no, I actually wouldn't. But that's like worth more than my life, I feel like. <laughs> this is a depressing uh, thought. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know what the average house in America costs, but it's less than that. Uh, yeah. So that is wild. Uh, there's going to be, I think we're going to see a lot of stories about that next week. If it's funny, the, the ticket brokers all want Tampa to play Buffalo because Tampa people would obviously get tickets because the game is in Tampa and Buffalo people are like already all over the ticket sites trying to buy tickets in case the bills make it. Whereas chiefs fans may have spent all their money last year going to the game and Packers fans, uh, they travel really well, but it's like a fairly far trip and uh, might not. They, they, they're, they're worried that the Packers fans won't be as fired up as Bills fans who are, I think, pretty clear. They're the most fired up fans in the NFL. So uh, I guess we'll see what happens. I was going to make a joke about Buffalo having nothing better to do, but I, I feel like Green Bay. Is- yeah, I mean, you're just you're just talking about a different, a different side of some lakes. That's, a, you know, like it's it's all the same area up there. So. Uh, what else we got coming? What what's uh, what are we looking at? I know Stevens post will uh, drop at some point, probably Friday morning. Uh, his breakdown of the NFC Championship game. Charles has his uh, piece coming on. He's grading the coaching hires that should be out, and then also a really fun little feature on the uh, the the former refs who now go on TV and talk about it, which is such, I mean, it's such a huge part of watching games now. like these debates uh, of, of play calls. It's weird to think about a time when that wasn't mm-hmm. like when Mike Pereira didn't pop up on your screen and try to explain the game. Uh, it's it, that's as I read through your piece, I was like, wow, remember back when like this, it was just sort of the color guy trying to explain it without having any real context. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, we got that coming and then we'll be around Sunday. Stick yes, sir. I'm, I'm, I'm running on fumes. I just can't wait for the season to be over. You're right. <laughs> I get, come on, man. This is, this is the, this is the fun time. These are good games. I need to I get know. into whatever Dan Campbell got into before. He's <laughs> you know, back up. Maybe I'll be ready to bite a kneecap off. <laughs> Please don't. Please Only one? do not. Please do. Yeah. Oh, sorry, both. You, yeah. you slacker. How, how could you? All right. Thanks for joining us here at the counter. Uh, find us on Twitter, Four Verts, the Steven Ruiz, at Chris Corman. We're there. Love to talk to you. Uh, and we'll catch you next time, Monday morning. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.